You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most urgent topics in the never-dull world of Indiana basketball. This is our 114th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 502nd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, March 21st, 2019. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's Banner Moment has nothing to do with what happened on the court for Indiana, but about something special that happened off the court. On March 17th, the Twitter account at the Mop Lady, run by a diehard IU fan, tweeted the following. Quote, if there is anyone out there who has never had the means to take their child to Assembly Hall and you're available Tuesday night, please DM me. I would love to assist in getting you there. First come, first serve. That tweet was soon followed by this one. Quote, currently sending four to the game. If anything changes, I'll reopen the offer. Well, things definitely changed. The initial tweet went viral, and scores of Indiana fans stepped up to help other IU fans make it to Assembly Hall for Indiana's NIT opener on Tuesday night. And by all accounts, the atmosphere was loud and enthusiastic, even if the overall attendance was relatively small. Dave First of WRTB6 even took notice and did a story about what the Mop Lady had created. And then the Mop Lady did it again for the Arkansas game. As of late Thursday morning, many more IU fans had stepped up. Over 150 tickets had been donated as of Thursday afternoon, with over 100 tickets being donated to Big Brothers Big Sisters of Bloomington. Fred Glass even donated his four tickets behind the IU bench. In short, this is Hoosier Nation at its best, looking out for one another and doing it in a way that gets more butts in the seats to support our team in the NIT. I want you to remember this story the next time a drive-by analyst or clickbait junkie tries to conflate the small but vocal gaggle of social media trolls and clowns with the entire IU fan base. It's nonsense, and it's disingenuous. The mop lady, the many people who stepped up to donate tickets, and the diehard IU fans who gratefully accepted the tickets and cheered their butts off for our team are examples of the best this fan base has to offer. They deserve the headlines and the tweets, and this week, they definitely deserve the banner moment. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show to my left. He is the Richard Patino of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati. He is the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club. And ladies and gentlemen, the new Bracket Matrix World Rankings of Bracketologists are out, and he is now, drumroll please, number 11 out of 133, two spots ahead of Coach Tonsoni and the previously number one ranked Delphi Bracketology Club. Uh, Coach, your thoughts? I hate it. I figured you might. Andy, it is time for your bottoms line on the last week in Indiana basketball. What you got? Well, I, 
I, I would certainly echo what you said about the uh, everything going on with the Mop Lady account. I thought that was just a, such a cool story. And I don't know that even I would have heard about it had it not been for, I think it was Coach brought it up on the uh, on the postgame show the other night. So uh, just, a, just a really cool thing. Anybody not following that, they're, they're giving updates and uh, different things like that. So a very cool, uh, very cool thing going on. And, uh, you know, at this point for IU, it's hard to, you know, sit around and watch tournament games and, and think and wish and hope that the team was in there, but they're not. Uh, so you look forward a little bit to to Saturday's game against Arkansas and a uh, chance to pick up another another win in the NIT. And, and you kind of hope, looking back on the game Tuesday night, there were a lot of the teams that were the you know some of the top teams that were put into the NIT that struggled through the first half. I think probably for a lot of the same reasons that IU did, and then really turned it on in the second half. Um, Alabama's performance uh, on Wednesday night, notwithstanding. Uh, so I, I think what we saw from IU in the first half of that game was uh, not all that uncommon, I guess, for what other teams did. But uh, hopefully we see more of the team that showed up in the second half of that game uh, against Arkansas because Arkansas seems to be a team that really you know, took advantage and made the most of the opportunity by going up to Providence and playing really well. Uh, and I think that'll be a, a bigger test for IU as they go through and a, an interesting game that we'll talk about later in the show. All right, and filling in for Ryan tonight on Assembly Call Radio, he's an IU senior who cheers for North Carolina instead of IU. He unabashedly loves the NBA more than college basketball, and he's had a bad habit of jinxing every IU player he's written a profile about this season. So why is he on here? Well, you know him from our weekly Basketball 201 segments, and his postgame emails have drawn rave reviews from IU fans because he knows his basketball really well. It's our student intern, Ben Ladner. Ben, you are a member of perhaps the only graduating class in IU history to experience more NIT appearances than NCAA tournament appearances. How does that make you feel? Well, and should I mean, we blame you for that? <laughs> <laughs> At this rate, maybe. I mean, that that uh, introduction certainly made it seem like I was pretty unqualified to come on here. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll wait till next year. You know, there's there's not that I'm rooting for this or anything, but there's certainly a chance that that next year's senior class will you know have even more NIT uh appearances than ncaa's and you know you've you've touched on the the possibility of the senior class going four years without an ncaa appearance which would be unprecedented um and so obviously you hope that the team would turn it around by that point but yes uh, i think uh you know i have a lot working against me when it comes to these things with being a unc fan <laughs> a fan and, and apparently you know the, the the sole reason why guys like Jawan morgan and rob Finnessy have had slumps at various points in the season it's much easier to blame it on you, though, than it to, is. Yeah, you know. and listen, as, as as someone who does not consider themselves an IU fan, I'll take that blame. You know, I'll take it on. I, I don't, I don't uh, have any shame doing that. You'll you'll carry that burden for us. Right. No, you are you are definitely qualified. I just want to throw some of our inside jokes <laughs> from our basketball two hundred one segments in here, but we look forward to your analysis today. It's going to be fun. All right, here's what we're going to talk about this week. We'll discuss some keys to victory against uh, uh, in the IU Arkansas game for Indiana. Uh, we'll look at some uh, clips and talk about some clips. Uh, some plays from that last game to see what we can learn from the first meeting between these two teams and then we'll answer some of your questions all of that is coming this week on assembly call radio before we get to all that though let's talk about sleep and let's talk about why you need to buy your next mattress from our friends and fellow iu grads and fans at comfort option first off they will actually come to your house seriously if you live in indy or bloomington you can schedule comfort options revolutionary in-home mattress service there's a van with a bed in it and they just put the mattress together right there and you lay on it and you decide if you like it or not. Right there at your house. Plus, they don't charge you extra to come build the mattress at your house. They don't. 
And if you don't live in India or Bloomington, you can still order one of their Alpha mattresses online, and they'll deliver it anywhere in the U.S. Longtime Assembly Call listener Megan Mahaffey, whose voice you just heard, she and her husband went with the Alpha Medium. We've been really, really pleased with how the Alpha Medium has felt. I am physically sleeping better. Also, Megan's husband isn't snoring anymore, which is a massive bonus. And to top it all off, Comfort Option offers a 30-90 satisfaction guarantee to make sure you love your mattress. Bottom line, they want the mattress buying experience to be more pleasant than it's ever been. The whole thing, start to finish, went incredibly smoothly. So go to ComfortOption.com right now and either order your Alpha mattress or schedule your in-home mattress store service today. And when you do it, use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $50 off your purchase. Again, ComfortOption.com, promo code ASSEMBLY for $50 off. Get the mattress that's right for you. Don't leave your sleep to chance. It's too important. We want you to live. Yes, we do. We want you to live. Can we get some basketball, please? Okay, back to talking basketball. Gentlemen, we have this game. Andy, you alluded to it. We talked about it a little bit there. The IU-Arkansas game coming up on Saturday. Second round of the NIT. I want to hear what you guys think are kind of the keys to victory here for IU. Andy, we'll start with you, and I'll kind of send you into it with this note, uh, which I talked about on podcast on the brink earlier this week. But over the last three NITs, number one seeds are 10-2 and two in first-round games, but just 2-8 and eight in second-round games. And they lose them by an average of 6.5 points. So some of those games aren't even close. So, you know, it's interesting. My hypothesis there is that, you know, you have these one seeds that are pretty good, you know, close enough to make the tournament. They don't make it. They're not playing a very good team in the first round. So even as disappointed as they are, they can win it. But then in the second round, you're typically facing kind of a big conference school like in Arkansas that isn't disappointed to not be in the NCAA tournament because they had no chance, but they're actually happy to be in the NIT. And that's probably part of the reason why the last three NIT champions have been four seeds. So that's my hypothesis. It could also be random chance. Who knows? But what we do know is Indiana is really going to have to bring their A game and history not necessarily on their side in this game Saturday. So given all that, what are the keys to Indiana moving on to the next round? I think if you look at what IU needs to do defensively, uh, the, the challenge of playing Arkansas is a lot different now than it was before without Daniel Gafford playing. So they become a bit more perimeter-oriented. They shot the ball really well from three against Providence, I think 10 of 21. Um, so I, I think that's – you start there. I mean, really the two areas from that standpoint are how do you limit them from a three-point shooting perspective and how do you keep them off the free-throw line? They're one of the better teams in, in the nation in free-throw rate. Gafford is a big part of that, but they've got a few other guys that have free-throw rates over uh, over 40. So, um, you know, it's really trying to lock down the perimeter guys. They're not all going to be – the the offense isn't going to revolve around uh, Gafford in the post, but you've got you know Mason Jones, Jalen Harris, Isaiah Joe uh, from a perimeter perspective that are there uh, with Joe being the the best three point shooter of the bunch. And then uh, on the other end, I he's got to take care of the ball. Uh, Arkansas is fifteenth in defensive turnover rate uh, in the country, and and again they can gamble a little bit more when Gafford's in there as a rim protector. But uh, I don't think they'll probably change a lot of what they want to do. Uh, in that regard, and and what that can lead to on the other on the other side, though, is they're one of the worst teams in the nation in uh, defensive rebounding, and they're one of the worst teams in the nation in putting people on the line. So, um, if IU can attack and really try to get some second chances, uh, beat the initial pressure, get the ball in the paint, draw some fouls, um, I don't know that anybody's going to get too excited to see this team take a ton of free throws. But uh, at least from a you know a structural and from a strategic standpoint, that seems like the way to go. Uh, for IU. So I think there's some things that Arkansas does really well, some things that they struggle with. Um, no different than any any team uh, that makes the NIT is going to have some flaws at this point that are pretty noticeable. And uh, so a little bit hard to tell, not not as much tape on them, at least with 
uh, Gafford not there to see exactly how they're going to uh, readjust things, but at least in terms of who their uh, primary weapons are, they at that point become pretty much all perimeter guys. Ben, what do you think of the keys for IU? Yeah, I think the turnovers, uh, that, that's a really good point by Andy. Uh, you know, they turned to the ball over 17 times the first time they played Arkansas. Uh, that was their third highest total of the season, matched only by that Arkansas, that uh, Ohio State game in the Big Ten tournament, and they exceeded it a couple times. Um, so you're taking care of the ball. Obviously, Arkansas is a team that likes to pressure full court. They're going to kind of lay it on you the entire game. Obviously, not having Gafford back there to protect the rim, like Andy said, you know, it kind of limits what they can do sometimes in terms of gambling and taking chances and, and really going after steals and trying to force turnovers. But they're still a team that's going to dial up the intensity, dial up the pressure, and really try to speed teams up and take them out of what they want to do. So kind of in that vein, I look for maybe Indiana can try to poach some transition points. You know, if they're able to, to break that initial press, get the ball past half court, create those five-on-four advantages, maybe four-on-three sometimes. Uh, and without having Gafford back there to protect the rim for Arkansas, maybe Indiana has an avenue to get to the basket a little bit more often. And, you know, to, after they beat that initial press, just to try to create some easy buckets. And then on the other end of the floor, you know, how does Indiana deal with Arkansas spacing the floor? Because that was one thing I noticed when they when Gafford didn't play in that first game, Arkansas was basically going with kind of a five-out approach, trying to put as much shooting on the floor, much as athleticism on the floor as possible. Can guys like Deron Davis, Evan Fitzner handle that? Can they defend on the perimeter? Uh, can they protect the rim? At a, at a requisite rate and you know can they close out on shooters and really limit arkansas's three-point shooting i guess those would be two things that i'd look for on either end of the floor you know and from an individual standpoint just when you look at that first game you know Devonte green did not play so having him certainly the way he's been playing will be really nice Demise anderson played 26 minutes in that game if you recall and actually like did you know did some good things in that game uh but it'll be interesting to see how many minutes he gets two other guys that are gonna have to be on the floor more Jawan Morgan, who only played 23 minutes. Now, he was extremely efficient, but he was in foul trouble, both in the first half and early in the second half. And Justin Smith only played 15 minutes, turned it over twice. It was kind of one of those Justin Smith games where he just wasn't really there. And so if Indiana can get a better performance from him, those are some of the things you look at. And I'll tell you the other guy, and Andy, this kind of goes to your point about you know getting downhill, getting to the free throw line. I think Al Durham is going to be really important. He's going to play a lot of minutes. He played 36 minutes in the first game and, you know, did make three three-pointers, but was only one of five on twos, didn't get to the free throw line and turned it over five times. And it was really a struggle for him to take care of the ball, to kind of be strong with it. He's going to have to really play with more composure and I think be just as aggressive as we saw him be uh, in that St. Francis game for Indiana in this one. Yeah, I'm trying to think back as you bring up some of these things. I'm thinking back a little bit to the the postgame show, I, I feel like Justin Smith got yanked pretty early in the second half where he went at Gafford a couple times, got blocked, uh, and really didn't come back in hardly at all. Uh, McRoberts was out, so I think that was why Demise played, and I think he saw some, you know, he had, a, I feel like, a couple turnovers, just a couple plays where it was just, it was very evident. It was his third college game, and yeah. uh, but but they needed him to to eat minutes in that game, and he did that, and then, uh, yeah, the Juwan foul trouble you know, stuck out to me, but I do remember talking about that on the postgame show with Al. It was one of the things that, you know, I think you had brought up a number of times coming into the season that if you really look back at the games that he excelled, uh, it tended to be against teams that weren't going to really get into him physically and uh, and do some of the, you know, the kinds of uh, athletes that, that Arkansas was able to throw at him. So I think he's improved in that area over the course of the season. The St. Francis game was a pendulum swing way back the other in the other direction, just given how, uh, you know, poorly they, they did 
how poor a job they did shutting off driving lanes and things like that. But uh, I do think Al becomes uh, certainly because it seems like Romeo is not going to play. You know, we talked about that. It's a really big opportunity for him. He he really seized it on uh, Tuesday night. But uh, this team has to take a lot better care of the basketball, like Ben said, uh, going into it. But I but hopefully, uh, you know, Juwan not having to to guard Gafford eliminates some of the 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 opportunity for him to get in foul trouble and uh we're able to see him a little bit more but i thought uh, duran had a pretty good game in that one uh, as well you know that last uh, foul call notwithstanding he did all right uh, coming up on the assembly call we're going to try something a little different we're bringing basketball 201 to assembly call radio ben has some clips from the first arkansas to walk us through as we get prepared for saturday's rematch in the nit stick with us here on the assembly call we'll be right back Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcast Chat mobbers. or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Ben Ladner. Will this be on the podcast? Yes, Ryan, this will be on the podcast. Um, you know, real quick, another reason to subscribe to us on YouTube is the Basketball 201 segments that we've done. We're bringing that to Assembly Call Radio this week. Uh, ben and I this year on Tuesdays have been kind of doing these Basketball 201 slash film session um, uh, type broadcasts. And so we're going to do that now. So Ben's going to walk us through some video clips. You know, we'll do our best to describe the clip so you can actually kind of hear what's going on and get something from this, even if you can't see it. But if you go to the YouTube page, watch the video, uh, the unedited live broadcast uh, from this episode, you'll actually be able to see the clip. So it obviously makes it for kind of a richer and more full experience. But uh, with that said, Ben, let's uh, let's walk through this. You look through. Now, did you get did you look for particular types of clips like clips without Gafford in? Is that what we're going to talk about is those types of clips? Yeah, that's mostly what I looked at. I, there was actually it was funny because Romeo Langford only played or he I guess he, he only sat for two minutes during this entire game. But those two minutes were during a time where Daniel Gafford was also off the floor. Oh, was uh, so it? We, yeah, so we had this little two-minute chunk of game time where neither Romeo nor Gafford was on the floor. Uh, it, I will say it was tough to glean too much, uh, I guess, meaningful data from this game because, A, you know, obviously Romeo and Gafford are both not playing in the NIT, and so you're, you're going to have a large chunk of the game that's going to be not quite as relevant, I guess. And then number two, Jawan Morgan, you would figure uh, – would would play more than 23 minutes in this in this game on on Saturday rather than you know being in foul trouble the entire time which he was in the first game and then two yeah I guess the the third thing would be teams rotations kind of change over the course of the season anyway so you're probably not going to see as much Denise Anderson you may not see as much Evan Fitzner as you did the first time and then I'm sure Arkansas has some some rotational changes that they'll make as well so that said there were a couple clips that I found to be you know fairly revealing just as far as what both teams might try to do and how they might deal with certain things that that uh you know they might throw at each other so the biggest thing you know I, I touched on it kind of in that first segment was Arkansas really wants to pressure their opponents they really want to make you uncomfortable and kind of you know force you into taking some tough shots and 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 more importantly turning the ball over but if they can't do that they want to make every shot contested they want to pick the right guys uh to take the shots and so you know kind of in keeping with a theme that we've seen all season for Indiana they're going to try to force guys like Justin Smith, you know, guys like Demise Anderson, if he's in the game, 
uh, these kind of non-threats on offense to take shots that they don't really want to. And so we'll see here in this first clip about 11 and a half minutes to play in the first half. Obviously, lots of ball pressure uh, just kind of off the top. That's that's pretty standard with Arkansas's defense. They're going to really get into the ball. And Al Durham kind of with this sharp crossover, able to create some separation here. And so one of the themes of Arkansas's defense, and this will come up in another clip, is that because they play such a, a high-pressure style, they really need to have solid help defense behind them. And that's one area where I think missing Daniel Gafford really hurts them, where you know, if Al Durham is able to get downhill here, there's not the same rim-protecting presence that there is when Gafford's on the floor. So he's able to create some separation, get downhill, and you see this guy's going to have to slide into the lane to cut off this penetration. And Indiana could be spacing the floor better here. I think Evan Fitzner should probably be standing behind the three-point line. He's setting a screen right here. You've got some action kind of going on uh, on the baseline. I think Al Durham maybe went a little bit before, a little early uh, than Indiana wanted him to. But nevertheless, he gets downhill, and you're going to see the help defense come. And you, get, you really get it from two sides. And, and it's, you know, we've talked all season long about how Justin Smith is going to have to hit jump shots if Indiana's going to be at their best. And this is another instance of opponents just kind of making him prove that, you know, they're going to leave him open. They're going to force him to take shots. You see three guys converge on Al Durham and Justin Smith is wide open for the jumper. But when he takes the shot, look at the shot clock. You know, when he catches the ball, there's still 18 on the clock. And when he fires, you have 17. And so in these possessions, this is a win for Arkansas because Indiana is taking a shot that's not going to produce, you know, the most efficient look for them. I think they might be better served to kind of hold on to this work through their offense a little bit more, maybe see if they can get a better look. Maybe Al Durham waits a little bit longer to see if they can get in the flow of their offense. Instead, you get you know a low percentage shot, especially at that point in the season, and Arkansas is running the other way. And this is a situation where you know Evan Fitzner, I talked about how Arkansas is going to try to space the floor without Daniel Gafford, and this is an instance where you really see guys like Fitzner and Deron Davis. It, it comes into question you know, how well they're going to be able to perform on defense in this game. Because Arkansas is basically just going to target Evan Fitzner and try to go right at him. They're going to, you know, 35's got the ball. They're going to go right back to him with this little two-man game. And Fitzner does an okay job staying in front of the ball, but just isn't really quick enough to bother that shot to the extent that he should. And Arkansas ends up getting an and one. Yeah, this does seem like kind of a tough matchup for Fitzner. Even if Gafford was in there, just the speed of this game, yeah. the pressure of this game. You know, and this was, of course, coming on the heels of, of him playing against Marquette, which was a great matchup for him. And this one, you know, really wasn't. And he played 18 minutes and didn't score. Did have, you know, five rebounds, but really wasn't able to do a lot. And that, that will be interesting to see what, if anything, he's able to do in this game. Because I agree with you. And same thing with Duran. I mean, I think Duran can give you more offensively because the tallest guy now for Arkansas is going to be 6'8". And so they're going to have trouble dealing with Duran on offense, which means when he's in there, we've got to really go into him, you know, and, and hopefully he's assertive because that's the reason why he didn't play much in the second half against St. Francis. Well, and I think if you want to use Fitzner, he would be, if you go back to the, you know, the IU uh, possession in that clip, you know, if he's the guy on the receiving end of that pass from Al Durham, you probably feel a little bit better about that shot being taken. Certainly you did at that point of the season, <laughs> whether you do now or not is, is perhaps a different, uh, a different matter, but you know, being able to have him, as Ben said, out there to space the floor, that would really be the role that he would have to serve uh, at, the, at this point and, uh, and with this team. So, yeah, I could easily see this being a game where he gets a little bit less run and if Race Thompson is, uh, is not sick anymore, he might be a better matchup for some of the remaining interior guys on Arkansas's roster.
Yeah, and, you know, Brian said in the chat, please don't play this lineup, Al, Fennessy, Justin, Demisi, and Evan. And again, just remember, you know, Juwan was in foul trouble, no Devontae, no Zach McRoberts, no Race Thompson, you know, and it was like the brief period when Romeo was out. And obviously, Romeo won't be in this game, but, you know, I, I doubt you'll see that lineup. <laughs> you know, that doesn't seem like one that Archie likes playing much think, anymore. I don't think he's going to dust that group off, do you? <laughs> no, I think things will have had to go really poorly for uh, for that group of five because they just don't really fit well together. So, no. All right, next clip, Ben. Yeah, so, uh, you know, back kind of on the note of Evan Fitzner and his role spacing the floor, uh, we'll see a little bit of that here with, you know, another IU offensive possession. Al Durham is going to be kind of handling it at the point of attack. And again, with Romeo Lankford out, it's he seemed to kind of be the steadying presence for Indiana during this game because, like I said, with Arkansas pressuring the ball, you know, Al Durham is a good ball handler, and but it, and same with Rob Finnessy. At this point in the season, those guys just weren't really the the primary kind of lead ball handlers that they are now. They, they I don't think they were quite as as steady and as solid at, with the ball as they are at this point in the season. And so Arkansas was really trying you know, speed them up and, and make them uncomfortable. Now we have Romeo back in the game, kind of in this left corner. But what's going to happen here is mostly on the right side of the floor. And one thing I've noticed with Al Durham this year is that I think he misses the simple pass quite often. Um, and what you'll see in this clip here is a few things. Number one, you know, Durham missing the simple pass and, you know, not giving the ball up as early as he needs to. Number two, the impact Gafford has as a rim protector and just his presence on the floor and then number three, how things might be different with him off the floor, um, you know, with with uh, his athleticism, his length, not really around to bother Indiana uh, like he did in the first game. So Durham's going to, you know, again, this this kind of ball pressure defense, Demise Anderson's going to snake back around to the top, and they're going to go into a pick and pop with Al Durham and Evan Fitzner. And this is kind of what I mean about missing the open man. Daniel Gafford's going to come up high because Fitzner's a shooting threat and Al Durham's a threat to turn this corner. And when he does, Durham makes the right read by going baseline. But what happens is two guys follow him. And by the time he's got a foot in the paint, Evan Fitzner is wide open. And you'll see Al miss this pass a lot when he's driving on the strong side and missing the, the wide open corner shooter whose man has kind of sunk down to help on the drive. This time it's on the pick and pop. And he actually ends up making a nice pass to Justin Smith, who makes a good cut behind his man who's not really paying attention here. But you see Gafford, just look, watch the second jump here, just getting off the floor to challenge Durham, getting right back up to Jeez. block the shot. That was and an athletic it, play. It, it was amazing. And on the one hand, you say, okay, Justin Smith needs to finish that play and maybe be a little stronger around the rim. But on the other, if you're looking ahead to, to Saturday's game, Daniel Gafford's not out there. And how many other guys on Arkansas's roster can are even capable of making that play? Um, so I think that possession's encouraging for me if I'm an IU fan because, number one, You've got Evan Fitzner as a pick-and-pop threat, and if he's hitting shots, it adds a totally different dynamic to your offense. Number two, Al Durham is making a good read and getting toward the basket going downhill. And number three, you get some good ball movement. You, get, you generate an easy shot around the basket, even if it didn't go in. And so taking those things into a game where Daniel Gafford's not going to play, I think that's something that you know, has, has to be a positive and, and maybe encouraging for IU fans. You're listening to Assembly Call Radio. If you're just joining us, we're doing kind of a, a Basketball 201 segment here. We're talking through uh, some clips from the previous IU-Arkansas game. You can check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall, uh, if you want to see the actual clips we're talking about. I think you might be a little unfair to Al Durham on that one. That would have been a tough pass That's true. back to yeah. Fitzner. I mean, I, like, I, I do agree with you that I think sometimes he misses the simple pass. 
and that he gets tunnel vision when he's driving. But that one in particular looked like it would have been pretty tough to make. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fair. And, you know, I, I, I guess maybe the, the, the thing that you would, you would try to change there is just the angle that he takes and maybe being a little more patient. But I, I agree that he ends up making a nice play, and so it's hard to fault him too much. Uh, it's just a play where, I guess for me at this point in the season, I'm kind of looking ahead to say, okay, who's going to be a, a primary ball handler moving forward? And then certainly, you know, having noticed him kind of getting tunnel vision at certain points in the season in, in recent games, that's kind of one thing that stood out to me. And kind of going back before that had become a trend, going back and then kind of noticing it and yeah. seeing it kind of fit into this broader trend. But I, I do agree that that would have been a tough pass to make. And maybe I am being a little harsh. So how do you, how do you project Devonte Green into this game? Because he is a guy who obviously has been a huge scoring threat for Indiana of late. You could argue over Indiana's last four games, he's been the best player overall. He's had a really good assist turnover ratio. I mean, outside of Jawan Morgan, um, you know, really good assist turnover ratio. But he's also a guy who at times can try to do too much against pressure. And I suppose that will probably tell the tale of his game is, you know, how effectively is he from shooting outside? And can he be, you know, have the same kind of measured, you know, more consistent mindset, you know, going for the singles and the doubles a little bit more than always trying to hit the home run? Because that's going to be important in this game. Yeah, it's, it is kind of tough to project because on the one hand, you know, there's a chance that he is the steady ball handler, the guy who can handle that pressure and kind of get you into your sets without turning the ball over and because he's got a good handle and he can do some things with the ball in his hand. But on the other hand, he is turnover prone and against a team that really wants to force turnovers and put pressure on, on his opponents, that could be a, a really big negative. If he tries to do too much, if he tries to force passes, if he gets, you know, maybe a little sloppy or careless with the ball and tries to do things that he's not really that aren't really within his skill set uh that could be a, an issue for indiana if he ends up turning the ball over too much i guess the two guys i kind of look at are durham and, and rob finnessy because like i said they weren't really as established early in that first game and without romeo langford i think those guys are a little bit more uh you know just a little more solid at this point in the season and they can handle the ball a little bit better you know i don't think they're as phased by that athleticism that pressure that arkansas threw at them in the first game and I think they're poised to play big minutes, especially with without Durham coming off that big game uh, in the first round of the NIT. But I think certainly Devontae Green, you know, in addition to handling the ball, he just gives Indiana a different element in terms of shooting because, like I showed in that first clip, Arkansas is going to help if they get beat off the dribble. You know, they want to apply that pressure, but if their guy, if if the if the guy guarding the ball gets blown by, there's got to be that help defender sliding in. And so if that's Devontae's man and he keeps shooting the ball the way he has been that could be a, a really big asset for Indiana, just having a guy who can spot up and shoot. By the way, Coach Tonsoni, the new president of the Devontae Green fan club, is in there in the chat mob predicting another game ball for Devontae. So my, how things have changed as the season has evolved. <laughs> just when you thought the season couldn't get any weirder, here we are. Uh, the, only, the only thing that I would add, I, I do think having, um, you know, the one thing we, we probably haven't seen a lot of that lineup with, uh, with Al and Devontae and, and Rob in the way that uh, we saw it against St. Francis I think it does, uh, you know, give IU a, a good stable of ball handlers to be able to have out there during the course of the game and against pressure like that. If you can find a, either a matchup that you like or or some way to break the press, I think having those guys all out there will be good. Uh, the only other thing that I would bring up is is the guy who seems to be the beneficiary of Gafford being out is uh, Reggie Cheney, who was uh, the number thirty five that was in one of the clips that uh, that Ben had. He is. Uh, I, I noticed in the first game he had three blocks, as did Gafford. And just in looking at his game log, he played 28 minutes against Providence with seven of nine from the floor and had seven blocks. So uh, apparently um, 
you know, he's, you know, the a miniature version of Gafford in, in some way or something. So I think he's really, if you're looking at a player uh, from an Arkansas standpoint, probably one that uh, has a really big swing on, on how the game goes. If you're able to contain him, get him in a little bit of foul trouble, uh, that makes them even thinner on the front line. If you're not able to do that, and he has a game similar to what he had against Providence, that, that likely bodes pretty well for Arkansas. Yep. All right, coming up in our third segment, we are going to start answering your questions, beginning with a question that we typically get at least once or twice a week. How will Indiana improve its shooting next year? We have some thoughts. We've talked about it on previous shows. We want to hear Ben's thoughts on that. So we'll talk about that next. Stick with us. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ben Ladner. Remember that you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason. And after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis. There's a high-level operation going on out there. It certainly is this year, since Ben and Seth have been writing them and uh, doing a great job. Uh, text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com so that you can join that newsletter. Make no excuses. Exactly. Just go do it. All right. Uh, we're going to dip into the mailbag early here. We got some good questions. So I want to see how many of these we can hit before our time is up. So we got this question from Bill. Do we have any shooters coming in? I mean, good, consistent shooters that can hit the three at a decent percentage and be considered a weapon. Andy, we get some version of this question every single week. Always people talking about shooting. Real quick, you know, just to remind folks, Armand Franklin is signed for 2019. He's not necessarily known as like a Jordan Holes type shooter, but he has really improved as a shooter. And I think he projects as a guy who's going to have a solid three-point shot at this level. It may take him a year to adjust, as it often does for guys, but he projects as as a pretty good three-point shooter. I would say... Like as a high school senior, he maybe isn't quite as good as uh, as of a shooter as Robert Johnson, but I think he can be that kind of shooter, maybe like a notch below, but a good shooter. And then after that, Trace Jackson Davis is not a shooter, um, a good player, but not a shooter. And then we'll have to see. There's still, you know, there's no scholarship open. They're going to look at the grad transfer market, have to think shooting is what they're going to target. So that said, I would expect more help to come. The angle that I'm interested in, though, and we got you know another question that that kind of led us in this direction. I want to get your thoughts, Ben. Is what reasons are there to think you know independent of like you know signing two grad transfers that are 50% three point shooters? Why should we think that this Indiana team can become a better shooting team? Because it has killed us the last two seasons that we haven't been able to make outside shots for a number of reasons. I feel like we will be a better shooting team next year, even if other areas suffer. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's kind of a tricky question, and and it's it's one that I've thought of about for the last couple of years or so, and I, I don't totally know. You know, the, the shooting woes have just been confusing. I, I don't really know what the uh, what the deal is with that. I, I think you look at guys. The biggest thing I look at as far as projecting shooting forward, looking at who's going to be a good shooter, is there going to be improvement, things like that, is just the shooting stroke itself, and certainly results are important. And if a guy's a 20% three-point shooter, uh, you know, in a, in a decent sample size, you're probably not going to expect that he's going to be a great shooter moving forward. Uh, but if you have a decent sample and, and a guy's not a terrible shooter and he's got a good stroke, I generally take that, you know, and, and kind of use that to project forward. And so, you know, I think a good example of that is a guy like Al Durham, who coming into this year, 
he wasn't the greatest three-point shooter his freshman year, but I looked at him as a guy who has a nice stroke. If he could get a little more right or a little less right hand in that stroke, could be a pretty good shooter. And, and thus far this season, he has been. Uh, I think Rob Finnessy is the same kind of guy. He's got a little bit of a of a left to right rotation, kind of a shoulder rotation in his shot when he rises up. Um, I, I don't know that that necessarily is going to make or break his his prospects as a shooter, but I think he's got a good looking stroke. I think he's going to shoot it moving forward. I think Armand Franklin has a beautiful shooting stroke and could really end up being a nice shooter. Um, I think he's going to be able to shoot it right away when he comes into college. I think, uh, you know, just judging on, on the limited, you know, kind of film and, and, and games that I've been at of his, I think he's going to be maybe surprising to some fans just in, in terms of how well he can shoot from day one. Aside from that, I don't know that there are a ton of guys on the team who come back as, you know, knock down guys unless, you know, somehow Romeo Langford stays or something and he reworks his jump shot. But that's, you know, there's about a 1% chance of that happening, I think. So I would highlight those three guys maybe as <laughs> less, uh, maybe less. as, as, as three guys who could, who could maybe provide some of that outside presence moving forward. Certainly you lose Fitzner um, and, and he didn't even shoot it that well this season, but the, the grad transfer market, I think is what you look at and just say, okay, who is the best shooter that we can bring in who has the most versatility to their jump shot is there someone who can shoot off screens off the move you know off the dribble off the catch whatever is there someone we can bring in who can really galvanize our offense as a shooter and really provide that element i think that's those are the kinds of people that you'll look at to bring in on the grad transfer market by the way you really infringed upon uh, ryan's territory there but you did you did a really good job of it so it's okay uh andy your thoughts I would agree with a lot of what Ben said. I think you you look at a guy like Al Durham, who's basically doubled his number of three point attempts and gone up seven eight percent as a as a three point shooter to you know about thirty six percent where he is now versus I think twenty nine uh, or so that he was last year on about fifty attempts. So to to me, there's a component of it that it, that is you can go back and and find guys who really worked on their shot and really just put in a lot of time to get to be better three point shooters. I mean, everybody would. You know, I you the the it's like a, a cottage industry of comparing guys to Victor Oladipo, but there's a you know an element to that where he you know his his sophomore year even he was ten of forty eight from three, uh, and then came back on still limited attempts, only took sixty eight uh, as a junior, but made forty four percent of them. So I think you see the opportunity for guys to do that. I think the particularly you'll see some of those jumps from freshman to sophomore season. Um, you know, Yogi was certainly playing a much different role, but his uh, three-point percentage jumped a lot uh, just from his freshman to his sophomore season. I think you could see that from Finnessy because uh, I think we've seen enough of him being able to knock down shots that you feel like it's in there. It's just a matter of repetition, and he hasn't shot the ball well while other parts of his game have kind of come back uh, toward the end of the season. That's one area that hasn't really rebounded as much to where it was when he was really playing well. So I think those are a couple of reasons Armand uh, another guy seems to really have worked on a shot and, and, and improved quite a bit as a senior. So those things are good, but I do think you need to figure out who are some other guys that would be able to help you space the floor because that's really, you know, all the guys we've talked about so far are guards and in, you know, modern basketball, you're going to need one of your, your front court players to be able to stretch the floor a bit as well. That was the reason that Fitzner was brought in. Uh, Juwan's been up and down from a three point shooting perspective. So I think you need to figure out who, um, that guy can be. Is that, you know, Race Thompson, can he develop some kind of, uh, you know, threat as a, as a three-point shooter? Jerome Hunter coming back would, would likely fall into that category as well. But I do think you need to figure out how you, um, wh- whoever else is going to come in and 
uh, fill additional roster spots on the team. I think they're going to be shooting is going to be really prioritized in whatever those positions are. I think, you know, if you, you said you're going to bring in two guys, it feels like you need one big and, uh, and one guard. And I think you'd, you'd probably look for some kind of shooting ability in both and the ability to space the floor. And, you know, and the other thing, Ben, is you look at it, over 200 of Indiana's attempts were made by Romeo Langford and Juwan Morgan, who combined shot about 28.5%. So on the one hand, it would stand to reason that the three-point distribution will go to better shooters because it won't be those guys taking up as many. You know, on the other hand, those guys hit some really big threes, like, you know, that, that won Indiana some games, even though you might argue they shot Indiana out of some other games. But it's also the attention that they drew how will the three-point looks be for Devontae and Al and Rob without the attention that those guys draw? And that's where Deron Davis being healthy and being a threat, you know, Trace Jackson Davis being a guy who can contribute from day one, you know, and whoever else they get, that becomes a big question. Because you can't just automatically say, well, Devontae is going to shoot 41.6% next year like he is this year. He's gotten some open looks because a lot of times he's out there as the fourth or fifth option. And that won't be the case next year without those guys there. So, you know... it. Where do you where do you kind of stand on how that might end up shaking out? Yeah, it's it's a good point. It kind of leads me into my next uh, point, which was I, th- I think you know maybe the reason I highlight guys like Finnessy and Durham and, and the reason they're going to be so important is because not only do you need guys who can knock down shots, you know, catch and shoot, spot up, come off screens, etc. I, I think this this offense needs someone who can shoot threes off the dribble. And this year, you look at at the team and and Romeo Langford has done that at times, but his percentage is not great. Say what you will about Devontae Green, but he's been able to knock down some big pull-up threes this year. But for the most part, Rob Finnessy is not really a guy who's going to turn the corner off of a, off of a screen and pull up for three. Al Germ's not the, the kind of guy who's going to come off a pick and roll, rise and fire for a three. And so for me, I look at those guys and their games. I think the next evolution is in addition to being able to catch and shoot and you know maybe take one dribble, a sidestep or something like that, being able to handle the ball, work in the pick and roll, and incorporate the three-pointer as part of their game off the dribble and in the pick and roll. Because you look at some of the best guards in the Big Ten, guys like Cassius Winston, uh, Carson Edwards. I mean, even Xavier Simpson is not the world's greatest shooter, but he at least is able to to, to kind of pose a threat out of the pick and roll there. Um, I think even guys like Glenn Watson at, at Nebraska, guys who can shoot off the dribble, pull up for three. If you want to expand it to the ACC, Kobe White, you know, Ty Jerome guys who can come off screens, pull up for three, and add that element to your offense, Indiana just doesn't really have that. And so as a result, you know they're not really able to generate threes outside of catch-and-shoot looks from the post, kickouts off of driving kicks, things like that. And it just makes the offense a little bit more predictable. And so I think you need guys like Armand Franklin, Rob Finnessy, Al Duran to be able to just, you know, off of a few dribbles, be able to rise and fire and just keep the defense on their feet a little bit more I think that would really make the offense a little bit more dynamic. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. All right, coming up in our final segment, we're going to answer some more of your questions, including one about why Indiana had such poor starts this season and whether that is something we should expect from Archie Miller's teams in the future. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. We'll talk about it. listening to the assembly call we are wrapping up another week of talking iu basketball i'm jared morris here with andy bottoms and ben ladner and we're doing some mailbag questions and we always take our mailbag questions from our private iu basketball discussion community which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com community 
Uh, so, Andy, I want to get your thoughts on this question from Max. He says, we've seen some really horrible first halves, start of second halves this season, and then some truly impressive comebacks, a lot of them that ultimately fell short. I think some of the credit for the furious comeback should go to Archie, but so should some of the blame on coming out so lackadaisically. Do you think this will be an issue throughout his tenure? I, I certainly hope not, because many more... I mean, I think this season, quite honestly, has been a, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the, the same way here. Uh, he talked about it at the St. Francis game about how he really had to, you know, get into the team at halftime to be able to, you know, get him to come out and, and play. I, I think a little bit of that is, you know, give it one more year, maybe two, and then I think you can really start to, um, you know, start to form a, a better opinion on that. Because I think some of that is, uh, you know, culture related, just in terms of, you know, having guys who are really going to come out and try to jump on somebody. Uh, and for whatever reason, this just is not a team that's been able to do that. And even in some of the games where they have come out and played really well at the beginning, they've given the lead away and, and not played well uh, in other times. So I do think, you know, you want to see as he gets more of, you know, quote unquote, his guys in there, how much that happens. But I think if not, if you still see that, then I think it it may be something else to do from a routine standpoint, just in terms of what your, you know, warm up routine those kinds of things, what you're doing coming out of the locker room to be able to, you know, focus in on, on what you need to do at the start of games at the start of halves, because, you know, we've seen too many times from this team, it, it's great to come back, but you, um, you know, in order to come back, you have to have dug yourself a pretty big hole, which means that something else went wrong. So I kind of agree with the, the general sentiment of it where you, you want to give credit uh, for that, but you also, you know, look back and say, Hey, what, what could have been done differently? And I think you look at the season the same way of, you, know, you you watch Archie after the Minnesota game, say that was a deal breaker. You see some of the things that uh, are done after that, and you say, hey, that's great. This guy was able to turn this around when things looked really dire. And then the flip side is you have how, you know, how did it get to the point that it got to where you lost that many games? And uh, and on the heels of playing better, how does that performance in the Ohio State game or against Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament happen? So it's, uh, it's a little bit of both, I, I think. But I'm willing to give it about another year. Uh, or so, see if that's something that changes as Archie really puts his you know stamp on the program. And if not, then I think there's not coaching changes that need to be made, but I think it's more just routine changes, how you go about preparing for the game, preparing for the second half. And just player changes. I mean, Coach said in the chat, a lot of those issues are player-related. I tend to agree. I mean, I think this year you had two stars who kind of like to ease their way into games. Now, Juwan a lot of times will come out ready in the second half, but he and Romeo like to ease their way into games. So who are you relying on then? a bunch of underclassmen, none of whom are really type A personalities. So I think I think a couple of things that will help are as a guy like Al Durham, who does tend to bring really consistent energy, becomes an upperclassman and becomes more of a tone setter. You know, freshmen that you're relying on like Rob Finnessy, he'll get more consistent as he gets older. You know, when you rely on a lot of freshmen, they're going to be inconsistent. And then, you know, whether it whether the light ever turns on for a guy like Justin Smith, we'll see. But I think Archie's just going to have to recruit some more type A personalities. I mean, you got to have some Yogi Ferrells. You got to have some Victor Oladipos. You know, you got to have some Thomas Bryants, some guys who can help balance out, for example, like an OG Ananobi, you know, so you can kind of get that balance. But you need some of those type A personalities that just kind of get things going. And I think this team didn't really have those guys. And I have to, you know, that's how Archie is. I have to think that he's going to be trying to identify that uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to recruiting. Ben, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with what both of you guys said. I think, you know, veteran teams that have an identity, you know, they tend to kind of come out with more, maybe not more energy, but just a better idea of what they want to do. They execute better. They don't really have these kind of early game blips where they have to figure out, you know, what 
what's the game going to be like? What's the tone of the game? How do we adapt to that? They're the tone setters. They come out and they establish that themselves and they they dictate that. So I think I agree, you know, getting in Archie's types of guys, you know, getting a, a culture, a program, guys who have been in it for a few years uh, and just having, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily to be a, a, the type of player who eases your way into a game, but I don't think you can have 12 of those guys. You know, you need guys who can kind of come out and play with energy at the start. You know, guys, if you have a, a more complimentary talent, you need kind of those those more assertive alpha types of talents to really, uh, I guess, uh, coexist w- with with one another. So I would agree with what both you guys said. I just think it's a matter of time before Archie kind of starts to instill, I guess, his 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 culture, his system, things like that, to kind of get everybody on the same page. Um, and I, you know, as far as what they do in the locker room, scouting reports, film sessions, things like that. I can't necessarily speak to how they approach games, but I have tried to pay attention, you know, before games being around the court, just to like, what's, what's the vibe around the team? How are, how are they warming up? You know, what, what's the energy around it? And, you know, some games you'll notice that they're really tight. They seem like they're kind of really focused and, and, and dead set on the game. Other games, I think the St. Francis game was like this. They come out, they're a little looser, you know, they're having a good time in warmups. I don't know that one approach is necessarily better than the other. I think it's obviously important to be locked in. But it's also important to be kind of, you know, loose and and ready to go and not to put too much pressure on yourself. Um, so I don't I don't necessarily know that there's a correlation between, you know, how they come out in warmups versus how they play. Maybe I shouldn't charted this all season long. Um, but I, I think uh, you know, just with a couple more years, they can kind of start to establish more of a culture and, and kind of figure these things out. All right, Ben, real quick, we had about forty seconds left, and we talked about this on the post game show. So I'll get your thoughts on it. This is from Kurt. How big of an opportunity do Devontae, Allen, Rob have with Romeo out? And we don't know how long Romeo will be out, but as long as he is, to assert, assert ownership of the program through the NIT, potentially on the way to New York. Yeah, I wrote about that in the postgame email a little bit about just, I think the balance with Romeo out kind of benefits those guys because as opposed to being slotted into these, these role player, uh, I guess, roles, where they don't really know where their shots are going to come from and they kind of have to pick their spots, they get a little bit better idea of when they're going to have the ball, where they're going to have the ball, how they can score, things like that. You saw that I think all three of those guys have pretty solid games uh, in their own rights. Ownership of the program, I don't necessarily know that, that there's a chance to do that, but you know, just for the rest of the tournament here, I do think they have a big opportunity. Yep. All right, that is going to have to do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us in the chat mob at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. As always, we will talk to you after the game on Saturday after IU Arkansas. Until then, Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, 
Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. And cut. Did you have anything else that you wanted to uh, to add there before we had to stop? No, that was good. Um, by the way, getting but one thing I wanted to mention, getting back to the question from before, that's why one recruit I think to really watch is Ethan Morton, the guy out of Pennsylvania. He's like a mid four star guy, oh, I think yeah. like 60, 70. I it's funny because like him. like you read scouting reports of him, and people are like, he's not really that athletic, don't really know who he's gonna guard. He's not that great of a shooter. <laughs> like, you know, he's an okay passer, but everybody talks about like like that he's the best communicator on the court that they've ever seen. You know, and he just like plays real hard and he's a great leader. Like we, you need a few guys like that. And I feel like a guy like that would kind of mesh well with, with Archie, you know, basically like a rich man, Zach McRoberts in a sense, when like, when people talk about him, that's kind of the sense that you get, like has more skills and, and more ability, but that kind of, you know, kind of leader and consistent everyday guy. So he's of all the recruits we're going after in 2020, I really want to get him. I think he'd be huge for the culture and the fit. Might as well just try to get Brad Davison to transfer. Oh God, <laughs> that's what it sounds like to me. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I mean, they're in the tournament, and we're not. So that's true. Yeah, I mean, the player he describes sounds a lot like. Uh, yeah, like, but Davison's a shooter, and he's also a ridiculous flopper. And I would not enjoy having that. I will say, I he is one guy at the Big Ten tournament. I actually came to appreciate a little bit more. I still don't don't like the flopping, and I think Wisconsin is. Their whole team's guilty of it. Uh, but I did like the way he played. I think he's got a little more offensive game than I initially thought. And I, I, you talk about being a communicator and kind of being dialed in and playing with energy. I mean, that guy is always doing those sorts of things, you know, for, for better or for worse, as annoying as it may be. Um, so he's, I mean, he, he is not like an elite defender. He's probably not even as good a defender as he gets credit for, but he's maybe a better offensive player than he gets credit for. And he's, you know, he's a guy that I would, want to have on my team maybe not as a, a starting two guard but i think in the rotation he's a pretty valuable player i feel like you have to have guys like that with the yeah. pack line i mean the pack line yeah. you've got to move in unison and if you have one or two guys out we've seen the breakdowns you know so you know even if you give up a little bit with athletic ability or whatever like if you have a guy who's helping keep everybody on the same page that's valuable so anyway that's that's a recruit that i really hope that we get so, and, and by the way, like, you know, people wonder, like, why haven't we offered Anthony Leal yet? Well, it's because we're involved with guys like him and Caleb Love. And, you know, right now that doesn't project to be a huge class. So they're kind of trying to balance, like, these are guys that would really fit well. But then at the same time, I mean, Leal's a great shooter and you need shooting. And when you have a, you know, a really good shooter in your backyard, tough to pass up. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with that recruiting class. Yeah, but that's it's it's an important one. Anyway, uh, any final thoughts? Andy, Ben? No, I'm good. That's all I got. Watching Wofford start to pull away from Seton Hall a little bit here. Who are they? Yeah, 25-16. Yeah, they're by nine. It was pretty close for a while. I mean, there's still obviously a lot of time left even in the first half, but Michigan has jumped all over Montana. Baylor-Syracuse already 18-13 with still 13 minutes left. I thought that might be the score of that game with about seven minutes left. (laughs) Rock fight of all rock fights. Very nice. All right. Well, Ben, thanks for doing this. Andy, thanks for having me. Thanks as always for being here. We appreciate all of you who are watching us. 
barely as you're also watching NCAA tournament basketball, which is which is <laughs> frankly how it should be. Yeah, we'll take a secondary screen. It's no yeah. big deal. I was, I was yeah. thinking about that. Like Thursday nights are great for the show, except in March, and then Thursday yeah. nights are not good. <laughs> yeah, except not for this Thursday though. and next Thursday, but otherwise, yeah. otherwise not bad. Yeah, I don't mind missing Thursday night NFL football, but this night. Okay, so enough talking. Yeah. Let's go watch some basketball. All uh, right, sounds good. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll uh, I won't see you Saturday. It'll just be Ryan, right? Yeah, we'll. Uh, okay. Yeah, we'll figure out depending on if they win. When the I assume the game would be sometime mid next week before the. Uh, yeah. Before the NCAA games, I don't think they want a whole lot of overlap there. So. No, probably Tuesday or Wednesday. I would imagine. That's, that would be my presumption as well. They uh, the mop lady just tweeted out at some point in the last little bit, like over 200 tickets, I think in total people wow. have given, That's I want to awesome. say like, I want to say 200, if I, if I read it correctly, like 220, um, 160 to big brothers, big sisters, another 60 donated to the general public. So that's amazing. Wow. That's so cool. Pretty cool. That is awesome. So, all right, cool Good stuff. All right. All right. Thanks everybody. Talk See to y'all later. Bit. Talk to you Saturday. America's beverage companies are working together to reduce plastic waste in our environment. Not all plastic is the same. At the Coca-Cola Company, Keurig Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo, our bottles are made to be remade. We're carefully designing them to be 100% recyclable, including the caps. And we're investing in community recycling improvements so that every bottle we get back can be used to make new bottles. That completes the circle and reduces plastic waste. Please help us get every bottle back. Learn more at everybottleback.org. With the powerful combination of Michelin X1 tires and the Michelin Energy Guard aerodynamic solution on your truck, you can save 17 gallons every 1,000 miles. Go to business.michelinman.com slash fuel saver for details.